Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. The verses are going to be on the screen behind me, so we got you covered. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. As you're finding your place there, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. We're grateful for all of you joining us on this Christmas Eve. And also, Reach Church Paola, Reach Church DeSoto, and the venue service right down the hall. When we consider the birth of Christ, I think the, the most important question that we can ask ourselves is why did God become a man? In fact, I, I think it is the, the most significant uh, question of Christianity itself. Why did God become a man? And the question, uh, the answer to that question really is the theme of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. But I want us to see the answer to that question on the basis of Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. So, so look with me at these verses. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. It says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she'll bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Lord, we pray this morning that you would bless the, the study of your word, the proclamation of your, your word. I pray that we go forth in power today. The, the truths of the gospel will be simple and, and God applicable to our lives today. Help us to understand more about your love for us in the incarnation of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we look at these verses, I want us to see them in two parts. I want us to understand, number one, the event, and then we want to know the explanation. You'll see the event there very, very clearly. It's the virgin birth of Christ. Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed. With a betrothal, you're legally obligated to one another. If you broke off a betrothal, you had to give a certificate of divorce. Um, betrothal, uh, you were married in every way, except that during a betrothal, you had a year in which you did not live together and you did not sleep together, which makes Mary's pregnancy stick out like a sore thumb. Betrothal and, and pregnancy were not a good combination, which is why Matthew records very clearly for us that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Matthew is declaring the, the faithfulness of, of Mary, but he's also letting us know that something supernatural is occurring here. In fact, you see it in the response of Joseph. He's a righteous man, doesn't want to disgrace her. He loves Mary, cares about her. This is the kind of man that Mary's grandmother probably wanted her to marry. Joseph is a righteous man, good man. But Joseph also knows that this child's not his. In fact, Mary knew it too. And so Joseph knows there's only one explanation, it's not good. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What would you be feeling? Well, I, I think you'd be feeling what Joseph felt, and that's completely gutted. Any right-thinking man knows there's only one explanation for this. But then God sends an angel and makes very clear, as, he is, as the angel's already told Mary, that the baby in Mary's womb is the Messiah. It's the virgin-born Son of God. That this is a totally supernatural event. 
This is God's son by God's action. It's Mary's son by Mary's womb. This is the God-man. It's the incarnation of Christ, the virgin birth of our Savior Jesus. God himself putting on flesh to dwell among us, come to die for our sins. It's perfect humanity, undiminished deity, united in one person forever. And scripture leaves no doubt. Mary declares it, Joseph declares it, Matthew declares it, Gabriel declares it, God declares it. Meaning all the people who are intimately acquainted with this situation clearly declare to us that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a non-negotiable of Christian faith. we got to ask ourselves, why? Why must Jesus be God? Why must God put on flesh and dwell amongst us? That's the explanation. What is the explanation? Well, we see it in this passage in the name of Jesus. We find it in his name. God's son, God names him. God comes to Joseph, says that you'll call his name Jesus. Jesus literally means God saves. So he says you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people. Now, if we stop right there, it sounds pretty good because I think most people would recognize that we need saving. But the question is, saving from what? Some people, man, I need saving from loneliness, and that's a real issue. A lot of lonely people out there. Some people are lonely. They think, well, if I can just find the perfect spouse, then solve that problem, and then they find out they married a sinner. And then they think, well, we'll just have children, and then they got a whole household full of sinners, and it's a mess. But the fact of the matter is, loneliness is a real issue. I'm not diminishing that. It's real. We understand that. There's people out there that want salvation from financial poverty. That's real, isn't it? We understand that. That's, that's real. But we also know a lot of people who got a lot of money but still broken and still got a lot of problems, right? Some people, they want salvation from a physical illness. That's real. Disease, illness, ailment. But we also know a lot of people that have perfect health. They got a lot of problems too, don't they? Still broken. In the midst of our world today and all that's going on, some people want somebody who save us from war. But the fact of the matter is, Scripture makes clear that when God came to save us, he came to save us specifically from our sins. That when God becomes a man, he came to deal with the greatest issue of our lives, the root problem of our lives, which is our sins. You go to the doctor, the doctor's not simply trying to treat your symptoms, although they'll do that. But, but the real goal is to find the root source of the problem, isn't it? The, the, the real issue. In a similar way, when Christ comes to earth, when, when God stoops down from heaven and enters into our world and puts on flesh, he comes on God's mission to address the root cause, the supreme issue of our lives, which is our sin. All these others that we talk about, the issues that we talk about, that are serious and they're real, but folks, they're symptoms. They're symptoms of the, the real problem. All the, the brokenness of our lives are symptoms of the real problem, which is our sin. Why do people break into homes and murder and steal and defraud with sin? Why is there so much violence and racism and pain and poverty? Sin. Why do we struggle in our relationships and marriage and with our children, our in-laws and our coworkers? It's because we're sinners. Why do we struggle with identity and meaning and purpose and forgiveness and pride and lust and greed? Sin. 
and ultimately, why do our bodies decay and fade and ultimately return to the dust of the earth? Sin. You know what I found? Most people don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about the real issue. I can assure you, you're not going to find a segment on Fox News or CNN about sin t- tonight. You know, you're not, they're not going to, well, let's talk about the root problem of all of our lives, which are sin. We, we, we don't want to deal with the real problem. We just want to treat the symptoms. And so we try all kinds of things to band-aid over, mask over the real issue of our lives, but because we never deal with the I- real issue, we never find true healing. In most of the world, they just find themselves in this Continual, never-ending cycle of brokenness because they never dealt with the real issue, which is their sin. One of my favorite stories in the gospel is in Luke chapter five. It's the story of the paralytic. The paralytic is paralyzed, obviously. He can't get help on his own. He needs some friends. He's got some really good friends. And these friends, they're gonna do everything they can to get their friend to Jesus because they've heard that Jesus can heal. And so they, they work their way to Jesus. They get to the house where Jesus is doing his work and teaching, but the house is too crowded, they can't get in. But these are the kind of friends, they don't, they're not gonna take no for an answer. They really care about their friend. And so they climb up on the roof, they actually cut out a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Imagine this, here's this paralytic, he's been lowered down. Now he's in front of Jesus, and Jesus comes over, he approaches the man, and Jesus says to this paralytic, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I just imagine the guy's face drops. Jesus, forget it. That that sounds good, but maybe you haven't noticed. I can't walk. That sounds all good, but the real issue of my life, the greatest need of my life is my paralysis. This guy didn't come to Jesus for healing. He came to Jesus so that he could walk. But what this guy needed to learn and what we need to learn is that when Jesus comes to deal with us, he's not content with, with dealing with the things that we perceive to be our greatest need. And what Jesus was teaching that man is that the, the greatest need of his life was not the revival of his legs, it was the resurrection of his soul. He didn't need new limbs, he needed a new birth. Because no matter what, and listen, he did receive the use of his legs. Christ did healing, but the fact of the matter is, eventually, even though he had been healed of his paralysis, eventually he would face what? Just like all of us. He's going to face death, and he's going to face God. And if you want to be afraid of something today, don't be afraid of losing the use of your limbs. Don't be afraid of losing your job. Don't be afraid of losing your health. Don't even be afraid of losing your life. Be afraid of standing before an almighty, holy God without the forgiveness of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. That's something to be afraid of. The fact of the matter is, that's the greatest need of our life. And that's why Christ came. That's why Christ became a man, because every one of us, due to the sin of our father Adam, we've all been infected with the same disease of sin and death. We've all sinned against a holy God, and we are all guilty, and we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And we think to ourselves, what, what, listen, God's all-powerful. Why didn't God just forgive us? Why didn't God just cast out forgiveness? Yeah, y'all, y'all are forgiven. Why can't God just give us forgiveness? And here's the reason. God is, is loving. He's the perfect manifestation of love. But God is also just, and he's also holy, and he's righteous, and he can't simply wink at sin. He can't give it a pass. Imagine today. Imagine you men. Imagine somebody came into your home tonight and killed your family, murdered them all. 
And that man was, who, who committed the murder was standing before a judge. He's on trial. He's dead to rights. But the judge comes out that day and says, you know what? I'm just feeling generous and kind today. What are you going to let this brother off, you know? I think I'll just be merciful. He can go free. You men, what are you going to think about that judge? Are you going to say, boy, that is a good judge? No, I guarantee you what you're going to say. No, that judge is evil. Because a crime has been committed and somebody's got to pay. Listen, God is loving, but he's also just. And sin has been committed and somebody's got to pay the price. The greatest issue of our lives is how does God let, let sinners like us into his holy presence? You know, most people are asking, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? Do you know what? The Bible's got no problem with that. You're a guilty sinner. You have sinned against the holy God. You got no leg to stand on. You got no argument to make. The wages of sin is death. The real issue of scripture is how does a holy God allow sinners like us into his presence? You know what the answer to that question is? It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's the reason Christmas is so near and dear to our hearts because it's a reminder that God loves us so much that he came for us. God saw us in our sinful, broken condition. He knew that we couldn't get to him, so he came to us. He left the glory of heaven, full angelic worship, full manifestation of the glory of God, the form of God in heaven, left the glory of God, came to this earth, an embryo, a womb, a manger, lived a perfectly sinless life, said no to sin, yes to God on every occasion, knew the frailties and all the temptations of sinful flesh, but he always said no to sin and yes to God, lived a perfectly sinless life, and he died on the cross, a substitutionary death, not for his sins, but for yours. Somebody had to take the hit. Somebody had to make the payment, and Christ came and made the payment for you. That's Christmas. Not just that he was born a baby, but that he was born to die in your place for your sins. You know, every other religion in the world hands you a ladder. Every other religion in the world, a set of rules or obligations that you fulfill in order to get to God. Uh, order to achieve enlightenment or nirvana or euphoria, whatever else they want to call it. But every other system in the world of religion, it's all about you. It's about your goodness, your righteousness. You want to know the beauty of Christianity this morning? is God knew that you're too sinful and he's too holy. God knew, what I think you know in your heart, is that you're a sinner and you're dead to rights. And even on your best day, you couldn't get to God. And so God knew you couldn't get to him, and guess what he did? He came for you. Why did he come? Why did God become a man? To come and die for your sins to make a way of salvation. He came for us. Certainly in a room this size with this many people and even those watching online, I uh, know in my heart there's some of you that are in the deep bondage of sin today. You're burdened by the guilt of your sin. You're beaten down by the burden of your sin. And no medicine, no drug, no doctor, no counselor, no, no psychologist can forgive you. The fact of the matter is you can't forgive yourself. And you know deep down in your heart you have a genuine guilt before God. And there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. And a lot of people in their, sinful in their sinful rebellion would rather remain under the burden and the guilt of their sin than to take the risk 
of trusting in Jesus who did what they couldn't do and died the death they should have so that through faith in him, we could be rescued, we could be freed, we could be forgiven, we could be safe, and we could be eternally secure through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that this afternoon? Christ is able to set you free. He's able to free you, forgive you from your sin, which is the greatest need of your life, and Jesus Christ is the only solution. This Christmas, wouldn't it be wonderful to be free? Wouldn't it be wonderful to walk out of this room in just a few moments knowing that your sins are forgiven? They're as far as the east is from the west. As Paul said in Romans, there's no condemnation. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have deep regret in their life. Wouldn't it be good to know that there's no condemnation for you? You know why there's no condemnation for you? Because Christ was condemned for you. He took your place. And you can know today that you are freed, you are forgiven with a fresh start and a new beginning, a new birth, a new creation in Christ Jesus, not on the basis of what you did, but on the basis of what he did and you placing your faith in him. Why did God become a man? He came to give you the most unimaginable gift ever known to man, the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Can I ask you today? Have you received that gift? It's available to everyone, but it only becomes effectual in the lives of those who receive it by faith. Do you know that gift today? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of why you came. You came for the salvation of our souls, for the forgiveness of our sins, to die in our place so that we might have life and life eternal through faith. Lord, if there's anybody here today, they're under the burden and the guilt of their sin. They know it deep down in their heart. They've been trying to treat the symptoms, but they never dealt with the real problem, which is their sin. They've never come to a place of realizing the brokenness and the depth of their own sin. They've never come to a place of turning from their sin and trusting completely in Jesus. I pray that they would know today they don't need me, they don't need any other pastor, they don't need a priest. It's not about denomination, it's not about church. It's about a relationship with the one who loved them, made them, and died for them. And I pray today that your grace would so overwhelm them, your love and the gift of salvation and what you've done for them in your life, death, and resurrection, it would so overwhelm them that they couldn't help but run to you. I pray that you would drown out the voice of Satan who is lying to them right now and telling them it won't work. And I pray today they'd take that risk, they'd take that step of faith, and they'd trust in Jesus. They'd know his freedom, they'd know his forgiveness, And they know the joy of fellowship with the one who made them. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.